Recently, I approached the reception desk of a large hospital that I might learn the room number of a patient I'd come to visit. I noted that the hospital was undergoing a massive expansion program, like every other hospital in America. Then I observed that on the wall behind the desk where the receptionist sat was a magnificent plaque containing an expression of gratitude to the donors who had made the expansion possible. I also observed that there were individual plaques, little brass placards, containing the name of each person who had contributed $100,000 or more. The name appeared in a flowing script etched on the brass surface of the placard and each placard was held suspended from the main plaque by a glittering chain. I looked at the names, recognized most of them. Captains of commerce, giants of industry, professors of learning, they were all there, and I expressed my silent gratitude to them for their benevolent kindness. But then I observed one placard, right among the others, that was different. It contained no name. One word and one word only appeared on that surface of brass in the same flowing script. That word, anonymous. I wondered who the contributor could have been who chose to make his gift in this time-worn way. Surely he or she experienced a joy unknown to any other. My thoughts turned backward, back, back to the Holy Land, back to him whom we honor this Easter Sunday, to him who died on the cross that we might have the opportunity of eternal life, back to him who taught the meaning of the true gift when he took his disciples to a high mountain and there he instructed them by saying, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. But when thou doest alms, see that thy left hand knoweth not what thy right hand doeth. And then, as though he wanted to indelibly impress upon their minds the practical application of the lesson he taught, he came down from the mountain with a vast multitude following him. And a young leper came unto him and worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst cleanse me. And Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And then Jesus saith unto him, See that thou tell no man. The word anonymous had a special meaning then, it still has. The classics of literature, as well as the words of Holy Writ, testify concerning the endurability of anonymity. A favorite of mine is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I can just see the trembling Ebenezer Scrooge when he's confronted by, shall we say, his former partner Jacob Marley, though he had been dead for seven years. The words which Marley spoke to Scrooge penetrate my heart. You'll remember them. 
He said not to know that any Christian spirit, working in its tiny sphere, will find its mortal life far too short for its vast means of usefulness, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I. After a very harrowing evening, when Ebenezer Scrooge was shown by the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come, something about living, something about loving, something about giving, he awakened to a newness of life. He developed the power to love and the capacity to give. You'll remember that he thought immediately of his impoverished clerk, Bob Cratchit. And then he arranged for a lad to take to the Cratchit home the gigantic turkey, the one that was bigger than a boy. And then Scrooge mused to himself, and he shall not know who sends it. Again, the word anonymous. Oh, my brothers and sisters, the sand flows through the hourglass. And the clock of history moves on, but the true gift remains unchanged, undiminished, unaltered. When the beautiful steamship Lusitania plunged to her grave at the depths of the Atlantic Ocean, many of her crew and passengers went with her. There were deeds of heroism, some unknown. One man gave his life preserver to a woman though he himself could not swim a stroke, and he perished. It mattered little that his name was Alfred Vanderbilt, the American multimillionaire, for he gave not of worldly wealth. He gave his life. It was Emerson who said that rings and jewels are not gifts, but substitutes for gifts. The only true gift is a portion of thyself. A year ago last winter, a modern jetliner faltered on takeoff from Washington's National Airport, plunged into the icy waters of the Potomac River. Deeds of valor were in evidence that day, perhaps none so dramatic as those witnessed by the pilot of a rescue helicopter who hovered over the scene and lowered a lifeline to a struggling survivor. To the pilot's astonishment, the man refused the line and tied it rather around the shoulders of another who was hoisted to safety. Again the line was lowered. Again the refusal. Again another person was rescued. In all, five people were rescued by that helicopter that day. Among them was not to be found the anonymous hero. Unknown, he left the vivid air, signed with his honor. It isn't only in dying, however, that we can show forth our understanding of the true gift. Opportunities abound every day of our lives to demonstrate our appreciation of the true gift. Let me illustrate with perhaps three little examples. One of them, early one winter morning, a father tiptoed into the bedroom of his two boys and said to them, much like this morning, a heavy snow has fallen during the night, boys. Let's get up get dressed, and shovel the walks clear for our neighbors. So the trio dressed warmly before daybreak, took their shovels, and shoveled the snow from the walks of their neighbors. Father had given the boys just one instruction. 
He said, Make no noise, and they shall not know who helps them. Again, the word anonymous. Illustration number two. In a nursing home in Salt Lake City, I attended a sacrament meeting one morning. The congregation was comprised entirely of elderly people in wheelchairs. Two young men were at the sacrament table, just ready to begin, when one elderly patient called out rather loudly, I'm cold. Immediately, one of the young men stood, walked over to her side, took off his jacket, placed it about her shoulders, gave her a loving pat on the arm, and returned to his duties at the sacrament table. At the conclusion of the meeting, I said to him, Young man, I'll long remember what I observed here today. He smiled and said, Brother Monson, I wasn't at all sure that without my jacket I was properly dressed to officiate at the sacrament table. I said to him, Never has one been more properly dressed than were you this morning. I don't know his name. He remains anonymous. Illustration number three. Far from here, in Europe, beyond a curtain of iron and a wall called Berlin, I met with a small group of members one evening in a cemetery. We had come to visit the grave of a missionary who had died many years before. A cold rain had been falling all day and into the evening. It was dark. But with the aid of a flashlight, we located the grave, and I read to the group the name and information on the tombstone. Joseph A. Ott, born 12 December, 1870, Virgin, Utah, died 10 January, 1896, Dresden, Germany. Then I noticed that this grave was unlike any other in the cemetery. The headstone had been beautifully polished. The weeds which choked other graves had been carefully removed from this one, and in their place a beautiful piece of immaculately edged lawn and some lovely flowers. I said to the group, Who is responsible for keeping this grave so beautiful? My inquiry was met with silence, and then a twelve-year-old deacon acknowledged that without parental encouragement, without the knowledge of his priesthood leaders, he had kept that grave so lovely. He said that he just wanted to do something for a missionary who gave his life while in the service of the Lord. I thanked him, and then I pledged the group to secrecy that no one would reveal the name of this anonymous giver. I think that perhaps no one in my reading has better understood the meaning of the true gift than Henry Van Dyke, who wrote the beautiful story, The Mansion. The main character in the story is one by the name of John Waitman. John Waitman was described as a man of means, a dispenser of political power, a solid citizen. His attitude toward giving could be summed up in his expression, Give your gift where it will do the most good. No indiscriminate giving, no coins in beggars' hats, but let your gift be given where it can be readily identified and thus do good all around. One day John Waitman was seated in his large chair before the table in his study, 
reading some papers that were before him spread on the table. They told of the Waitman wing of the hospital, the Waitman chair of political jurisprudence at the university, the Waitman grammar school at Dulwich. John Waitman felt satisfied. And then he opened the old family Bible, which also was on the table, and he read to himself a passage from the New Testament. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The book seemed to float upward. John Waitman found that his face lowered to his hands and rested upon the table. He slipped into a deep sleep. In his dream, he found that he had come to the heavenly city. He was there with people whom he had known in mortality. And a guide came forward and said, I have come to show you your heavenly homes. The little group stood before a beautiful mansion. And the guide said, This is your house, Dr. McLean. Go in. There is no more death here, no more sorrow. No more heartache, for all of your old enemies have been conquered. But all of the good that you've done, all of the kindness you've bestowed, all of the tender hope you have extended, they're all here, for we have built them all into the foundation of this mansion for you. And then a mansion was given to a bookkeeper who had cared for an invalid wife all of their married lives. Another mansion to a woman a mother, widowed while yet young in life, who had reared a wonderful family, and then a mansion to a middle-aged woman who had lain for 33 years paralyzed, helpless but not hopeless, succeeding through a miracle of courage in her one aim never to complain but always to impart cheer to those who visited her. Finally, John Waitman was becoming impatient. He wondered where his mansion was and he discovered that he and the guide were walking alone. And as they walked on and on, the homes became smaller, then smaller, then smaller. Finally, they stood on a windswept hill, nothing there but a little hut, smaller than a shepherd's shelter. And the guide said, John Waitman, this is your mansion. Oh, no, he called out. Why, have you not heard of the Waitman wing of the hospital? Have you not heard of the Waitman chair of political jurisprudence at the university? Have you not heard of the Waitman grammar school at Dulwich? Wait, said the guide. They were not ill-given, but they were given for the name and the mansion of John Waitman in the world. Verily, you've had your reward. Would you be paid twice? A sadder but wiser John Waitman then said to the guide, what is it that truly counts here? And the guide replied, Only that which is truly given, only that good which is done for the love of doing it, only those plans where the welfare of others is the master thought, only those labors where the sacrifice is greater than the reward, only those gifts where the giver forgets himself. Suddenly John Waitman was awakened by the sound of the clock on the mantel chiming the hour of seven. He had slept the whole night through. But he was alive. He had yet a life to live. 
love to extend, and gifts to give. Oh, may we remember that a bell's not a bell till we ring it, and a song's not a song till we sing it. And love wasn't put in your heart there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. How I pray that we will remember this truth, that we will look upward as we press onward in the service of our God and our fellow men. And may we incline an ear toward Galilee that we might hear perhaps an echo of the Savior's teachings. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. And of our good deeds see that ye tell no man. Our hearts will then be lighter, our lives brighter, and our souls richer. Loving service, anonymously given, may be unknown to man, but the gift and the giver are known to God. And of this truth I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.